0: Hello and welcome to the Change in Education podcast. As the UK's largest education business partnership, the Change in Education group delivers the best in class work experience and careers management services. Why not find out more? Check out our website, changingeducation.co.uk and send us an email, info at changeineducation.co.uk. Hello and welcome to episode three. This week, company directors and co founders Matthew Hodgkinson and Stephen Hatney and I will be discussing careers, education, information, advice, and guidance. We're here from Joanne Green, Lead Careers Advisor here at the Changing Education Group. Hello and welcome. Here we are. It is episode three. We are on week three. How the time does fly indeed. So, uh, It's gonna be an interesting one today. I've got Matthew who happens uh, to be somewhere uh, very tropical. We've got Steve who happens to have a tropical background. (laughs) What's going on fellas, what's happened?
1: So I, Matthew is uh, substituting for me. He's doing a great substitute. So I should be in Portugal, should have flew out on Wednesday last week. And unfortunately uh, my youngest son tested positive for COVID which means that uh, technically I could have gone, but uh, obviously as, 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 a, as a decent parent, we will actually stay home and look after our kids. So uh, Matthews took one for the team, decided that uh, we didn't want to leave the place vacant. And, and so he, he took his family. So uh, I mean, he's just a great guy. He's just a great guy. And without him, we don't, I, I don't know what I'd do.
0: Matthew, I mean, where, where does it come from? You know, this ability to sacrifice, you know, having to be in a cloudy climate to go and do that for for team member what made you do it you've,
2: you've got in these moments Amos, moss you've got to dig deep you've got to dig deep and find some uh, find some strength within uh but now listen it's half term moss so, you know everybody's got families we're all uh, we trying to juggle work and families at the moment. Never uh, more important, I think, uh, for your you know for for your mental health, etc. What you're doing at the moment, uh, everybody needs a break. But you know, the Change Education Group, we're still working. You know, our laptop is here. Uh, we're doing this podcast. It's all good. But yeah, it happens to be a nice climate. So you know, I won't rub it in too much with Steve now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> brilliant yeah so it is half term of course it's a busy week uh we've got the chancellor's budget as well today uh teachers and public sector staff getting a pay rise good news yes about time some people might say and uh of course we've got cop 26 starting at the end of the week uh so much going on in the world and then of course in our own world which is uh you know, work, experience, careers, guidance. There's a lot going on there as well, and we're going to be discussing that today. Careers, education, information, advice, and guidance to give it its full name. Uh, we've been fortunate enough to get our careers lead Joanne Green to reflect and give us her points of views on how things are going in the sector. And we'll be discussing that today. Uh so before we start, have you Guys, got anything like you'd like to say in this area of information, advice, and guidance?
1: Well,
2: do
0: you want to go first, Matt? Yeah, I mean, I, there's so much to talk about.
2: It's one of our it's one of our key offerings as an organisation to uh, to recruit staff, to recruit level six advisors and to place them in schools throughout the UK and to uh, and, and to run programs it's not just about the individual I mean, the individual that we place within the school has to be of of a standard and, and engaging with young people but it's designing programs it's designing that all through programming it's designing the, uh, the the paperwork and the delivery models and the use of of software and the tracking and management so there's a lot more that goes into mm-hmm. supplying staff to schools for careers advice and guidance and, you know, what may come across in this podcast, and for me personally, we always we always kind of shoot from the hip, is that we value it massively. You know, we were a huge champions, careers advice and guidance. You know, and I think that, you know, has it improved? We'd, we'll probably find out, you know, has it? I, from when I was at school in the early to mid-90s, can I remember a careers advice and guidance session that I got? Did it help me? Did it benefit me? Did the school that I was at in Stockport in South Manchester, did they... Did, did they invest in careers advice and guidance at the school? Uh, I don't know. It might come out of this podcast. I don't know whether they did or they didn't. But I think, from from talking to Joanne Green, our lead in careers, uh, it still seems to be a postcode lottery across the UK of uh, of careers provision. I don't know what I don't know what Steve thinks.
1: Yeah. So if we, if you know, for us as a company, we we call this our fourteenth year. And say that in our second year, we started to uh, support schools with careers and wider careers provision, and that including obviously uh, one to one career support by careers advisors, obviously trained at level six and above, and obviously looked at uh, the other initiatives that we put in place where uh, we supported a a wider group of young people. Uh, And if you think now between that and, and 2019, before COVID hit, we were already concerned about the level of uh, funding and the level of uh, take up of, of careers provision, especially after obviously connections uh, folded and uh, I got an interesting report that uh, I pulled up, I remember reading it in 2019. I just scrolled it back up because it'd be good to reflect on what they were saying just before COVID and uh, where we are today. So uh, this is this is from the 11th of November 2019. And it's from the uh, National Career Summit in, in the UK. And the Report showed that the report that they did showed that despite schools now recognizing the vital importance of the careers provision, they're unable to deliver this due to the lack of funding. So it says only 10% have adequate funding, 75% have insufficient, limited, or no funding. It highlights that that uh, around a fifth of secondary schools receive less than £2,000 in funding per annum. Given an average size school of about a thousand students, this equates to circa £2 per student, less than purchasing a cup of coffee. About a third of secondary schools less than five pound per annum, five pound per student. Yet 84% of the schools strongly agree and agree that careers provision in their schools is now a high priority. And then um, uh, one of the careers, uh, one of the careers experts, professionals, a lady called Catherine Haller, She's yeah. an OBE. She chairs Careers England. Uh, she said that this is really worrying, and it's something that a, a new sec that the new Secretary of State will need to give urgent attention to. We must make sure that we're giving all our young people high quality, independent, independent, ind- impartial careers advice and guidance. Schools are desperate to do this, but they don't have the adequate resources, and this needs to change. So, if we just if I you know if we just look at that in twenty nineteen, and that's how how we thought pre COVID. It'd be interesting now to hear our little debate and hear Joanne's thoughts post-Covid when we were already concerned before COVID.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, when we reflect on that, when I think about what Matthew said, it's certainly a postcode lottery. Um, I certainly don't remember uh, careers guidance in school. Um, it wasn't something that was uh, you know, discussed or we did much of. I remember work experience, but that was about it. Um, and then when I hear you give us those figures and talk about how schools value uh, information advice and guidance, it's scary to think that, they, you know, they're not taking it as serious as they ought to because ultimately these kids are going to end up working and they need to know and plan for the future. They need to know how to go about planning for the future. They need to know in which direction they're going and that's what. Information advising guidance does. So we're fortunate enough to have Joanne Green. Uh, she's spoken about how things have changed over the years. We're going to go to the first question uh, we asked Joe, and um, the question was: uh, just bear with me. The question was: how much has careers information advising guidance changed since she started? And um, this is what she had to say.
3: So I completed my qualification in careers guidance, the postgraduate course, in 2005 and started working in schools as a careers advisor from 2006. Um, The biggest change I've seen, which is really positive in that time, um, has been the introduction of the Gatsby benchmarks, which were introduced in 2013. And that provided a real framework for schools to base their careers education and the use of um, careers advisors and, and advice and guidance services around that, I think when I first started, um, a lot of schools relied on a careers advisor coming in to speak to students, obviously around around their plans, and that was a lot of what they did for careers um, but I think the Gatsby benchmarks have meant that schools have had to sort of consider it a lot more across the curriculum. Um, put more into place around, you know, work experience and experience of the workplace, experience of further and higher education. Um, and obviously it's becoming now more recognised and part of an Ofsted inspection as well. So I think that's really raised the profile of the whole careers programme in a school. And obviously for careers advisors like myself who are speaking to students, generally um, around decision times like year 9 and 11, I um, feel like the students are a lot more prepared now because they're having more input from Year 7 sometimes around careers and decision-making and self-awareness. So I think the Gatsby benchmarks have been a real positive and a real sort of, you know, thing to help, help careers advisors like myself as we work with the students.
0: That's really interesting when you hear that, you know, Joe, talking about the Gatsby benchmarks and then... Being part of Ofsted uh, uh, reports as well, it's certainly made a big difference. Matthew, what's your take on that?
2: Yeah, I, I think Joe, you know, Joe summarizes it quite nicely. And that, uh, you know, the gaps of benchmarks are clearly, clearly good for the UK education system because now we have something universal to, uh, to, to what's the better word, to benchmark our young people against. and to ensure that they do get experiences of the workplace and they do get impartial one-to-one guidance. But, I mean, the question has to be asked, though. You know, we work with a lot of schools, and even within those schools, some some of them are not hitting the Gatsby benchmarks, nor are they following the Gatsby benchmarks. Uh, only this week, we, we were working with a school in the Isle of Man. Now, they're part of the... Uh, They're part of the United Kingdom and they don't even have the Gatsby benchmarks, don't even have Ofsted over there. So, that's a saying, I think, in schools in the Isle of Wight, in Jersey, in Guernsey. So, this is just, I think this is just, correct if I'm wrong, if anybody knows, but I think Gatsby benchmarks is really just for uh, schools within England. Uh, So, it's not been rolled out across the board yet. And there are schools within, I mean, I could name name 50 schools AMOS, to be honest with you, that don't buy in impartial careers advice and guidance, and nor do they send their young people on work experience. Now, that's when we do have the Gatsby benchmarks as a measure of best practice. Those schools may well have been sending young people on work experience before the Gatsby benchmarks. So although the Gatsby benchmarks I have to say are a positive. But come on, see, let's let everybody use these gaps with benchmarks. And everybody understand the importance of young people going out on work experience and having impartial career advice and guidance because if you're managing to submit your academic year returns to the DFE, saying that you've hit all the gaps with benchmarks, but you don't employ a careers advisor nor do you send young people out on work
0: experience how on earth
2: are you hitting your gatsby benchmarks
0: something really important to think about there Steve would you agree
1: yeah it's 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 actually it's not complex but it's really challenging to uh to create and implement so when I say that what I'm trying to say is is that ofsted and Gatsby is the primary source uh, of guidance for an educator to build a, you know, a meaningful careers programme, point them in the right direction towards excellence. And obviously, that's backed up by multiple other career support uh, networks. Uh, nationally. Now, what happens then is, is that uh, they have a framework to follow. But if the school is struggling, as we have just read, financially to staff it, to have time to create a program. Now, when I'm saying program, we talk about the wider careers provision, which is the umbrella of uh, of the structure for a student to have careers and work related learning interactions in across every year from we just focus at the minute, you know, we leave primary school for a second because it should work in primary school. But if we just look at year seven to year 11, And then from 11 to 13, it should be quite clear for a parent to see across that academic year. What is my son daughter going to do uh, that's going to help improve their knowledge base regarding industry, career, employment, etc. So it is an addition to the curriculum. And I would suggest if we did a audit, less than 1% of the time across an academic year is spent on these really important areas. And and I I take that from first time knowledge, because I have a 16 year old son who's just left school, just left high school, he's gone on to college. And, you know, he's been fine. And but however, he didn't have any careers provision. Now, luckily for him, his father owns a careers uh, and work based learning programme, he didn't have work experience. Luckily for him, I was able to get him career support and I was able to get him on work experience. Now, what about the hundreds of thousands of students who don't have that access? So, you know, my son's gone through school and I'm sure they'll have a system in place where he probably wasn't triggering as a high risk and they use their resources to target, you know, students that are struggling at high risk or haven't got any, uh, you know, they're struggling with their qualifications or they haven't got any immediate. Um, uh, thought regarding their transition to further education and employment. So, I kind of get it, but then the flip side of that is, is you know, if you give the task to a full-time teacher, again they have a challenge, and again it's not the schools' fault, it's not the teachers' fault, but then they have limited time to create these meaningful programs. So, I, I would suggest Matt's that completely right. We probably have a small number of high-end careers programs in some schools. We have some schools doing nothing, and then we have this, you know, hit and miss. Uh, tactic in the middle. And again, it's not to point the finger. Uh, so yeah, I kind of obviously agree with Matt saying I'm just put some more meat on the bones of our thought processes.
0: Yeah, uh, it's, I, I think there's a lot still to deal with there and, uh, you know, this hit and miss theme keeps coming up and some skills are getting the best of everything, They're getting the full provision, whereas other skills, of course, next to nothing your son's uh skill case in point where you have to step in and help out what well, like you said the hundreds and uh, thousands how, of how,
1: yeah it's, listen again how how is it fair if we take we'll take cheshire for argument's sake uh i think there's about 88 high schools uh secondary schools across the cheshire and warrington region and that the students or you know how is it fair that you've got one school that's offering high-end work-based learning and careers programs those students there are leaving their school much more informed and much ready much more ready for the world of further education and employment and you've got other schools where students have had no careers provision no work-based learning so they're at a disadvantage and i don't think that's right and i don't think that's fair and i think actually there should be some kind of national baseline uh, where by the local authority you know or the school system have to make sure that as a baseline um there is at least a basic provision in place so that at least students are getting some knowledge of the areas
0: yeah really interesting point there another question posed to joanne green was um are the expectations of schools fair and realistic now uh, she's given her viewpoint on that have a listen to this and uh, let us know what you guys think
3: Another massive change that's happened during the time I've been working as a careers advisor has been from 2013 onwards when the Conservative government came in. Prior to that, all careers advisors, all the provision was completely funded by the government. So every single school had a government funded careers advisor going in for a day a week or sometimes a couple of days a week, depending on the size of the school, to provide their, their personal guidance for the students. That changed from 2013 with the sort of um, connection services becoming um, obsolete in quite a lot of areas. So schools are having to fund all this themselves, that can cause issues sometimes. There's a lot of variation in in the amount of funding schools can spend on you know, buying in external services like changing education to provide their careers advice, interviews for students and the personal guidance. Um, for example, you know the school that I'm working in today um, buys in two days a week of careers guidance for the full academic year. Another school I work in, which has got the same number of students, same sort of cohort size, buys in one day every other week. And I think sometimes schools are expecting that they're going to get the same sort of you know amount of time spent with the students and the same sort of service in a much shorter space of time. So I think sometimes that can cause a bit of sort of pressure for careers advisors. It's understandable that schools have got a budget and they have to decide how to spend it on you know various factors in their careers programme. but I think sometimes some schools do have slightly unrealistic expectations of what we can do in that time and the fact that some students will need more than one 40-minute guidance interview to help them make decisions and make sense of all the opportunities that are out there. Um, So we do do find ourselves under a bit of pressure, particularly around certain times of the year, um, busy times of the year for, you know, applying for colleges, applying for universities. Um, But again, a lot of variation. Some schools, you know, can manage that system very well other schools we we find that we do need to sort of help along with, you know, advising and, and looking at the best ways to spend the time that they can afford to 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 use our services.
0: Steve, Joe made a couple of really interesting points there. Change of government, change of policy. That was one um uh, big change. But then she also looked at schools' expectations and some schools expecting For her to work miracles uh with a student who needed to be seen several times um one 40 minute session if they were lucky to even get that would have been what this skill would have expected what's your thoughts on that
1: well the 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 transition from if we look at the key dates connections uh before connections a lot more schools would have had uh, as Joe points out 100% funded, as in, uh, they would have their own careers advisor working in that organisation for five days, from Monday to Friday, and they would have completed a varied uh, task group of tasks regarding careers vision. then the school's budgets were cut. And, you know, the, the there was then a decline of the time and money spent on careers advisors in school, I, I strongly believe based on recruitment ourselves as a company, uh, trying to find a careers advisor is so challenging because I think that uh, the government has turned the back on the careers provider as a professional, and I and I say that you know I don't think they have, as in they meant to do it, but they have to some ways where we've lost a lot of very good careers advisors who've gone off to do other things because the uh, the schools um, haven't um, offered been able to offer them full time uh, employment. And if you as Joe's just said, if you are, you know, we we get schools contact us all the time saying, Yeah, we want a career's advisor, we only want for 20 days over the academic year. It's like, you know, where where do you think we've got these careers advisors? And what the point I mean is we'd keep them on the ice, we keep them in a cupboard, we just bring them out for those 20 days. You know, we we people want full-time employment. And actually to create full-time employment, and Matt will talk about this more, trying to give somebody full-time employment as a career's advisor who wants to work you know, five days a week, and then we send I feel sorry for them because we're sending some of our careers advisors to five, six, seven different schools. And that's not healthy. That's not healthy at all. And, and then as you stood there, it's not healthy. There is no value. If, if, if a school thinks that there's, that, you know, there's quality in, in, in you know, ticking a box. Oh, yes, all our year 11s or our year 10s or creative visor for 20 minutes. That's not Good and healthy careers provision—that's not meaningful. So that's something that you know they need to step back and think about. That you know, no student—and and, and I'm going to—I'm going to throw this out there. People could argue with me. There's no way somebody can justify that a student has had quality careers provision in 20 minutes.
0: Yeah, absolutely, uh, Matt. What's your thoughts on that?
2: Well, it's a t- it's a topic that I could talk about for. For for hours and hours and hours because this is for me this is a this is a, a fundamental finance. Joe started by saying that uh, we, we had a, we had a change of government in twenty thirteen we had a Tory government come in and, and connections was no longer funded and uh, and there was a lack of finance in the system to warrant. The salaries of careers advisors, the time that careers advisors and all that great work that careers advisors did. Well in some way I I, I can't argue with the facts of the matter but schools budgets for me, schools budgets have never been cut. Schools budget is more now, prices rise therefore budgets rise. So if you had uh, somebody from the Department of Education they'll be talking about how much money they have Plugged the system with since 2013. So from 2013 to 2014, the school has never had more money. How do we spend the money? Its priorities, where the money actually goes. In 2014, to be directly spent on careers provision, it was spent elsewhere. A decision was made that careers, advice and guidance was not as important as other as- aspects of academia, maintenance of buildings, staff sales, whatever it is that goes into planning a budget. The finance person at the top of the school made that decision not to keep investing in career provision. Now, that's a problem. That for me, it's a problem, of, it's a question of finance. In any other provision, in any other walk of life, your salary has remained the same or it's increased. Careers advisors since 2013 have seen their salaries drop and, in some instances, by 40%. Their salaries have gone down from £35,000 to 23 £24,000. Now, that is a fact. And if you go on careers leaders forums, on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, these are real people talking about how they've seen their salaries hit by that much. Now, that's purely because schools have decided not to invest in careers because they weren't being told to. Up to 2013, they were being told to invest that money, or it was a direct payment. But when the schools get the money themselves, they have decisions to make, they can make the decisions. And we decided as, as a society, as schools, not to invest in career advice and guidance. And it's gonna be a light bulb moment. The Gatsby benchmarks do help, you know, us talking about it does help, you know, skills shortages bridging the gap between employers big employers going to schools and saying you're not gearing these young people up you're not telling them what to expect when they come giving them the school the 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 skills you're not directing them in the right place It all happens that the actual economy suffers that a model from pre-2013 comes back into play and, uh, and we see salaries increase for careers, advice and guidance, personnel, and we see people in schools actually taking it more serious. But until that happens, then it will just be on the back burner. And we go back to the postcode lottery loss at the start, you know, and Steve, Steve touched upon it. You know, in one, how can it be in one school that a young person is told exactly what a career in engineering is going to look like? And in another school, they've not even had a chance with anybody about a career in engineering and they've got to go on to uh they've got to go to google themselves so it is for me this is always a finance issue schools have never had more money because that's just the way the system works every year they get they get an increase but it may not be it may not be in line with inflation People's salaries may not go up may not go up but it never goes down school budgets never go down but careers advice careers advisors have seen their salaries cut I just I I can't I can't work that out. It doesn't really go hand in hand with a uh, an institution or a system that actually values careers. If you're not putting training and development and, and and an increase in salary in the hands of careers advisors, then really what do you expect the outcome to be?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm gonna play devil's advocate here. Um You know, you've made some incredible points there. Schools might argue that yes, you know, where funding's not gone down, but, you know, expenses have gone up and there's more to pay out for. Um, And it's really the government's responsibility for levelling up, um, as they've been saying for so long um, since they were elected, re elected in 2019, and they've been promising to invest more in certain areas, for instance, the north. Um, yeah, could you say that maybe it's out of the school's hands? Could you could be we make well, that argument that like perhaps schools are doing what they
2: can. We we me and you ain't We both we're both given five hundred pound each. You know why am I in my overdraft at the end of the month and you're still you still got a few quid left over. You know the argument is that a school is given a budget to manage, and some schools manage it well whilst whilst others don't. You know a school on one side of the road is delivering 39 days of iag per year and the school across the road are delivering 20 days of iag per year saying they cannot afford the extra 19 days which would make it a consistent uh delivery model throughout the year and then we do our digging we do our due diligence and we find out that actually they have been given exactly the same budget they are leveled up as we speak about so how 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 does that work? It, it, because we give schools the autonomy, this is a whole political debate, but we give schools the autonomy to make decisions. And unless they are be, they are given clear direction of how to spend their money, then they would deem it appropriate to spend money in certain ways. And if you've got one child in one school who's not being given career advice and guidance, and you may have a child in another school who is being given career's advice and guidance. Well, I don't think you'll find that fair.
0: Yeah. So let's uh, move on to the next question. Um, We asked Jo, in her opinion, what she thought the future of careers, advice and guidance looked like, and this is what she had to tell us.
3: I think... Going back to what I was saying before about the Gatsby benchmarks, I think they're going to stay and they're going to be something that, you know, new careers leaders and schools who are looking to develop their careers programs will rely on quite a lot, which is really positive. I've noticed a lot of, you know, schools um, because of the new statutory guidance that's come in are looking more at embedding careers a lot earlier. So right from year seven, and I know there's a lot of really good development work going on with you know, careers work in primary schools as well. Um, so, for, so for careers advisors like myself, that's a really, really positive thing. I think, a lot, like I said earlier, a lot of the times we, we will do our guidance and see students around key decision points. So year nine options, year 11, um, and then in sixth form, sort of looking at post 18 options. So hopefully if, if careers education, and whole school careers programs continue to, you know, be embedded, and the working on you know um, careers activities with students from a, from year seven. That's going to mean that the students are a lot more prepared, and they understand the options, and they're they're quite self-aware, which will hopefully make our job um, different. You know, it's more of a guidance process rather than informing students. The only thing I'd say is obviously careers is being more kind of recognised. And looked at as part of an Ofsted um, program. Um, sorry, sorry, an Ofsted inspection. I wouldn't really want schools just to sort of have a tick box where they have to provide certain, you know, activities and key sort of points around careers education just to satisfy their Ofsted inspection. It should be more of a whole school approach where, you know, the, the preparing students to go into into the world of work, into the world of education post 16 so that hopefully schools will see it as a you know a really important factor around helping the students have a holistic education, not just making sure they pass their next Ofsted inspection. Um, and hopefully you know the, the role of the careers advisor like myself will continue to be valued. We um, we obviously wanted to attract more people into into this industry and into this kind of role. Um, so hopefully it'll continue to develop in a positive way.
0: Really interesting. Um, who wants to start on that? Stevie? Yeah, I'll,
1: I'll, I'll jump in. So um, yeah, if we if we if we take this opportunity to consider, you know, what are the recommendations for future practice? You know, what do we need to do? And how do we need to improve things? I think Joe has put a lot of uh, key points across there about what we should and shouldn't be doing and, and how we should be uh, looking to improve our careers provision. So if we just touch on if we take away for the moment, financial and staffing implications to do if we look to the world of best practice, you know, what does an educator, what does a private company like ourselves need to do to make sure we're delivering high quality careers provision? Well, we need to make sure that we fully understand the Ofsted agenda, what they're asking for us to do with our young people, we need to look at the, uh, the experts and these are experts far cleverer than any of us. Have spent a long time developing models and frameworks that we should be looking at reviewing, listening to. And then once we've educated ourselves and we have our knowledge base, then we need to look at implementing a rigid framework that, uh, encourages a student's development from year seven to year 11, to year 13, where they are given, um, careers and work related learning education, that complements the core curriculum. And that needs to be mapped across uh, as a journey. Uh, it needs to be interwoven with that core curriculum across the academic year, and it can even complement it. You know, maths, English can all be brought into these careers learning, the work-related learning programs. And uh, the student needs to know that it's not a side event, it's part of their ongoing education to enhance their transition. And if um, we do that, and we, um, and, and we create a programme, we need to make sure that we can report, manage and track it effectively. And also enable the student through technology to get involved uh, away from the classroom setting so that they have resources to um, improve their skill sets uh, by themselves during their own time. So, uh, you know, away from the money and the finance aspect of it, you know, I made it sound really easy, didn't I?
0: Yeah, uh, and it goes back to what Joe was saying. It's a very holistic approach because, again, you're bringing everything in and it's not just one part of uh, schooling. It's not just a tick box exercise. There is so much more to it. It fits in with everything that students are doing in school and it's uh, it complements uh, what they do in school, in fact. Matthew, what's your thoughts on that?
2: i echo what steve has said really there and uh, and what joe has said we, we hope we, we we plan for long term don't we you know with, with careers if we all value it and it appears that we do uh whether it is a mismanagement of funds or there is uh, you know there's 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 rules from the top down but it you know the offset the agenda has to be probably tweaked it does it needs to be tweaked it needs to be kept up to date and, uh, you know, young people entering secondary school need to know, year seven, we're gonna be doing this, all the way through to year 13, we're gonna be doing this. And parents, wider stakeholders need to see that remodel and they need to know how it works and why it sets out the way it is and what influence young people will have, at what stages, when they will have work experience, when they'll sit, when they'll have an employer, ones, you know, how they're, how their curriculum choices, how their subjects, you know, how they play an important part within the uh, w- within careers, uh, the wider careers model as well. So I think that it's a blended approach in all the subjects, and I think schools really should be looking at, and Ofsted really should come out and say that every single school should have a, a charter, and the charter should be available on their websites for parents and wider stakeholders to download, and they can clearly see. This. We, we release, mean you know, we release loads of videos about the guidance, and what careers advice session looks like when uh, when we're, when we're delivering it as part of the change education group, and what does work experience look like? And why do we do work experience? Why do we do careers? And I think that if schools did that and it was a, it was a charter that parents could download, I think that would make the system more transparent and there'd be less wriggle room for ambiguity, there'd be less questions thrown. And there would be less uh, there would be less postcode lotteries because it should be standardised or get to a point where it could be standardised across the board. So maybe a little bit of pressure on Ofsted to uh, to ask schools to produce such a charter. And I think that if we did that, then uh, then I'd certainly be more happy because uh, in terms of careers, a big tick in the careers box. It wouldn't matter where your son and daughter went to which school because every school would be signed up to the same uh, the same vision
0: yeah a uh, really really important point there steve have you got anything to add final notes on that and yeah it just like you say you know it is it
1: is complex, and and it is uh, it has uh it has so much meaningful uh it has so much meaning for students because you know when you when i left school i i, I didn't get any of the support and actually if i had had uh, meaningful careers provision and work related learning. I think I would have been two to three years, I, I probably about two, three years delayed on my knowledge base. And actually I didn't end up going to, uh, do a degree until I was way into my early twenties. And actually I look back now and think, you know what, if I'd have just understood sooner and earlier, uh, perhaps I would have, um, you know, started my career progression a little bit earlier. And I, listen, you know, at the end of the day, I think, you know, uh, as a, as a careers provision and um, employability, uh, work related learning it not just for careers progression. You know, this is about making somebody into a decent human being because all the elements in those kind of lessons and knowledge bases look at improving somebody's skill set, such as life skills and social skills. So we, we, we do we do have, uh, we do have a responsibility also to improve those skill sets. And I think they're a great environment to do that as well as the PHSE lessons. That's it. That's it from me. Like I said, it's a rabbit
0: hole. hole. No, what a great note to finish on, and I completely agree with you on that point. There, um, certainly, uh, if there was that provision, you know, there'll be a lot more people who, on reflection, would look back and say there's things that they could have avoided in life, and it's people's lives at the end of the day that we're dealing with. So, this is a topic that we'll have to come back to at some point. Uh, it's uh, it's a big Topic, it's a big issue, and we can't just deal with this on one episode. So we will come back to this again at some point and see how things are going in this sector. Well, guys, thank you very much indeed. Uh Matthew, thank you for taking one for the team. Uh Wi-Fi survived. Uh, you got through that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you for having me, Amos
0: <laughs> and Steve again. You know, wish you all the best. Uh, no, it's not been the easiest of weeks uh, but hopefully uh, everybody's healthy and getting better
1: yeah we're all good thank you thank you
0: right so that's it from us Uh, and of course if you want to find out more about what we offer and some of the points that we've discussed today if you agree or maybe you disagree not get in touch with us you can send us an email info at changingeducation.co.uk and of course you can always visit our website changingeducation.co.uk and learn more Thank you very much. Until next time, bye-bye.